0: Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. Thank you for joining us on our second online service. And so excited to get to worship with you today. Um, Although we can't gather together as we would like to do, uh, we can still gather online to worship because our God is still worthy. And so we still want to be worshiping him each Sunday together. So we're excited that you're here. And today we're going to do that by diving into his word together. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We've been in this series of Acts, and I've just found that it's been Super timely. Um, Through multiple seasons of our church this year, God's used it just at the right time, at the right place, and I feel like He's doing the same thing now. Um, And so we're just going to keep going through the book of Acts and letting God speak to us uh, through His Word. So this section of Acts we're calling uh, "Family in the Spirit." And um, what's it look like for us to be the family of God, walking in the Holy Spirit, and allowing Him to use us and to to bring us together as one and to to make much of His name and put us on mission together. And so um, that's a, such an important thing for us right now in these times, I believe. And so we're going to dive into that more today, specifically looking at, as the family of God, how do we disagree without dissension? That's a really important distinction that we're going to see today in Acts chapter 15. And so I hope you'll follow along with me there. So um, I'm, I'm sorry to have to confess this to you, our church family, this morning, um, that um, Courtney and I have had some major uh, disagreement in our marriage, um, really from the beginning, like for quite a while now, um, and it doesn't really seem to be uh, resolving anytime soon. And so I thought I would just do be best if I could just clear the air this morning, just give it to you straight. Um, we have a standing disagreement on all things salad related. Like that's just a thing in our house, uh, whether it be dinner salads, or whether it be potato salad, or salad stuff on your burger, or on your Mexican food. Like all of it right because at our house we love some mexican food and i mean we can devour some tacos um but but for me i'm just i don't want any of that salad stuff anywhere near my taco or burrito or chimichanga or whatever it is and um courtney she loves all of it like for her the more the merrier for me no sour cream no guacamole definitely no lettuce. And so we have, we kind of have the staying disagreement. And you would think that, you know, this type of major polarizing disagreement on such a fundamental issue as Mexican food would be a major deterrent and issue in our marriage. But it's actually worked out pretty well. I think God in his sovereignty has used it to actually bring us together in some ways through this disagreement. Because when we go out to eat Mexican, I'll order my dish and I always tell them, hey, just put all that salad stuff on the side. And they bring it on a little plate and then I can take my nasty salad stuff, and I can give it to my wonderful wife who loves it dearly, and now she has double, and when we're at home, she's gracious enough not to put any of that on my tacos, and we're good, and so now we can live happily ever after despite our disagreement, and you know, this is something that happens a lot in our lives, happens even in the church, that too often we let small disagreements like that become big conflicts, and it leads to dissension, and it leads to arguments, and it leads to things that divide us even as Christians, even as the the church, unfortunately, at times. And and that's not what the Lord has for us, right? God has a different plan for our disagreements. In fact, he has a better plan. He has a plan to use our disagreements to turn them into good and to turn them into things that are helpful for us and helpful for him and his name and for the gospel. And we're going to see how he does that today with Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15. So here's what I want us to see is that God is so good, he even uses our disagreements for his glory you hear that today? Our God is so good that he even uses our disagreements for his glory if we will let him and if we will submit to him in those ways. And so what we're going to see here today in Acts 15 is Paul and Barnabas showing us how to resolve conflict in the family. Three major steps of how we resolve conflict in the family of God in a way that helps us and honors the Lord and advances the mission. So without further ado, look at Acts 15 verse 36. It says, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So the first thing we see here about resolving conflict in the family is number one, when conflict rises, communicate. When conflict rises, we have to communicate. So with Paul and Barnabas here, we see that Paul goes in and says, hey, let's get the team back together. right? Let's get the band back together. Let's go back on the road and visit all of our church plants, see how they're doing, check in on everybody from our first missionary journey. And he says, let's see how they are. And so you see here Paul's pastoral heart coming out. right? He wanted to check in on his churches. He wanted to care for them. He wanted to serve them. And can I just tell you this morning that that same thing is true for us and you? Our pastors, our elders, our staff, we have a heart and a love for you that God has given us and we wanna be here for you and during this time of craziness and crisis and changes, man, we're here for you and we wanna check in on you, we wanna love you well, we wanna serve you well. So if we can do anything during this time, please, please let us know because we have a pastoral heart for you and that's not just our heart, that should be the church's heart for one another, right? As the church, we are here to love and serve and help one another and we need to be doing that, church. And Paul and Barnabas here, they want to do that. They want to go back into their, their churches from the first journey and do that. But Barnabas, it says, wanted to take John Mark. Remember John Mark? He was the guy that they took along with him on the first journey, but he bailed out about you know two stops in, right? And went back home. And so Barnabas wants to give him a second chance. Let's take John Mark again and maybe he'll do better this time. But Paul thought best not to do that. Paul's like, Are you serious? You mean the quitter? you mean, you mean the, the kid who bailed on us? Like, I love you, Barnabas, but that kid just doesn't have it, right? Like, he's just not, he's not on the board. And so it says, Paul thought best not to take him because he had not gone with them to the work. He's like, he hasn't been to these other churches. They don't know him. He doesn't know them. He doesn't have a vested interest in this like we do. He doesn't love them like we do. So I don't think we should take him. Like, thanks, but no thanks on the John Mark thing, Paul said. And so we see here, Paul and Barnabas, two men of God who have been used mightily by him for the gospel, have a disagreement, right? They're not on the same page. And so I think it's important for us to kind of get some definitions on the table here to understand the difference between disagreement and dissension. Disagreement is a lack of consensus or approval, right? It's a lack of agreement. (laughs) It's a lack of us saying yes to the same things and no to the same things. And here, Disagreement happens between Paul and Barnabas. And guess what? It happens between us too. Disagreement is just part of all of us being different, having different backgrounds and different thoughts and different ideas and different talents and gifts. Disagreement is just par for the course when we're human. But that doesn't mean that disagreements have to become dissension. Dissension, by definition, is disagreement that leads to discord, to strife, to to problems and bitterness and issues in the relationship. It doesn't have to be that. But the key is to keep from going from disagreement to dissension is communication. Communication is key in keeping disagreements from becoming dissension. Hear that again. Communication is key in keeping disagreements from becoming dissension in our lives, in our marriages, at the workplace, even in the church. So we need to be able to talk through the conflict in a biblical way. So I think it's important for us to understand what that means, what that, what's that look like? And so there's two major passages in the Bible that I think are super helpful in learning how to do biblical conflict resolution. Right? How do we resolve disagreements and conflicts in a biblically God-honoring way? Two passages, number one, James 1.19 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. I love the book of James because he's just like super practical. He just lays it straight out, right? Three, three quick things. Three, here's the three steps. (laughs) Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear means listen first. Communication starts by listening and hearing the other person and not just always talking yourself. So James is like, hey, you need to listen first. Be quick to hear. My grandma used to say you have two ears and one mouth, so you ought to listen twice as much as you talk, okay? So that's what James is saying. He's like, be quick to listen, quick to hear, and then number two, slow to speak. He's not saying delay the conversation. He's not saying put it off or avoid it. He's just saying wait and hear before you talk, right? Wait and hear what the other side has said, and then you'll know how to respond correctly. So quick to hear, slow to speak, and then most importantly, maybe slow to anger, you know what causes us to get quick into anger is assumptions. It's drawing assumptions on the other person's motives. It's drawing conclusions about what they meant or what they said or what they did before we've really had a conversation with them. So She says, listen, first listen and then respond and hold all your judgments and, and conclusions until you've had some communication to work it out. That's the personal side. That's what you need to do for biblical conflict resolution. Then there's a second passage that kind of gives us some steps to do, not just on our side, but in the relationship with the other person. Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17 says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, obviously, in the original context here, this is talking about conflict around sin, right? When a brother sins against you, it says, this is how you handle it. But these steps that Jesus gives us on how to handle sinful conflict also apply for conflict in general. It's not just about sin. It it applies well in any type of conflict. So here's the three steps. He says, number one, talk to the person one-on-one. Talk one-on-one, right? Just go to them, you and them, and try to work it out between the two of you in private first. If that doesn't work, then you go to step number two, talk with a third party, right? Go bring somebody else in who can listen to both sides and help kind of mediate and help maybe the two of you find a better solution to the conflict. And if that still doesn't work, he says step number three is to talk with a spiritual authority. Go to the church, talk to an elder, talk to a small group leader, bring somebody in who can speak into the situation with some spiritual authority and help bring a solution and a resolution to the conflict for the two of you. And so when you put these two passages together, James 1 and Matthew 18, we see both the personal side, right, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and then we, hear, we see the relational side of conflict resolution, which is one-on-one and then a third party and then a spiritual authority. And if we put this into practice, we can work our way through disagreements without them becoming dissension. And that is really what God is calling us to as the family of God. You know, we live today in an age of outrage. It seems like somebody's always mad about something, right? They're ranting about this or that on the media or on social media or on Facebook, whatever and we're in this age of opinions, that everybody has an opinion, everybody needs to hear my opinion, and everybody needs to agree with my opinion, and if you don't agree with my opinion, then we have a problem. And so in this age of outrage and opinions, I think it's, it's really clear that we need to listen well to God's word here, and heed it, so that we handle conflict correctly. I think a simple contrast that I've seen recently in my own experiences might be a great illustration for this. So, you know, we have been bringing in the Church at Afton uh, membership into the Harvest Church family over the last couple months, and it's been such a blessing to get to know them. Our elders and their wives have been talking with them and calling them and going and meeting with them and just trying to build those relationships and get to know them and help them transition in well. And uh, so Courtney and I, we were blessed to go and meet with one of our uh, new ladies in the church um, and got to just Spent some time with her and loved getting to hear her story and her faith journey. And she told us how she's followed the Lord and served the Lord for decades um, at her church and, and and being faithful and just been generous. And it was so encouraging to hear um, that story from her. And then she kind of gets into the end of that, and she says this. She says, but honestly, Pastor, so now that I'm in my 80s, I've learned that it's okay to just say, yeah, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> I think I'll pass on that one. I I don't think I want to do that this time. And I'm like, amen and yes to that, right? Like, if you've been serving the Lord faithfully for 80 years, you get an opportunity to say no to certain things, right? But then she said something else that blessed me even more. Here's what she said. She said, now, pastor, if I have a question about anything or if I have an issue with anything in the church, I'm just going to come straight to you and ask you about it. Because I think, I don't want to talk to somebody else when I need to talk to you if there's something that I'm upset about or concerned about. Yes. Yes and amen. That's exactly the biblical model, and that's what we all need to do. The Bible encourages us to use direct, honest, open communication when we have a disagreement so we can work through it in a way that honors the Lord. Unfortunately, the antithesis of that is what I think we see more often today, especially when it comes to social media. Many people today, instead of going and talking with somebody one-on-one they're quick to jump on Facebook and spout off their opinion or blast someone else for their opinion or you know all this kind of stuff before they directly and privately talk with that person. And they may sure they may mask it in you know, some ambiguous language where they don't actually say the person's name or by some you know passive aggressive link sharing to make their point. But in the end, they're still not following biblical godly communication. They're using prideful, selfish, ungodly communication that ultimately leads to dissension rather than unity. You know, right now our church is in a big season of change. And in fact, our entire world is in a big season of change right now. And change always brings conflict. Change always brings disagreements because we don't always see it the same way. But those disagreements don't have to become dissension. So how would God have us respond to these disagreements, to these challenges, to these conflicts. He tells us right here in his word, I must use godly communication to avoid ungodly dissension. I must use godly communication to avoid ungodly dissension. That's what we see here with Paul and Barnabas. But there's more to the story. Look at verse 39. It says, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So when disagreements come, when conflict comes, and it rises up, we need to communicate. And then number two, when conflict remains, compromise. When conflict remains, compromise. Here in verse 39, it says that their disagreement rose to a sharp disagreement, which basically in the Greek means like an intense, intense emotional turmoil, right? Like there's still this, this unresolved tension, this unresolved. Like they can't get on the same page. They can't seem to agree. They're not getting it worked out even with communication. So now what do we do? Well, they make a compromise. It says that they separated and went their own way on their own journey the way that they felt best to do it. They chose compromise over conflict and what happened was awesome because god actually does even more work because of it so barnabas gets mark and the two of them go to cyprus right this shows us again Barnabas's personality right he was a he was a mercy guy he was an encourager he loved people this is his cousin he's part of his family he wants to to train him up he wants to help him grow so i'm going to take mark and we'll go to cyprus that's my home island and that's the island that we went to first on the last journey he was with us for that so i'll take mark and i'll go to cyprus that was Barnabas' side of it. And then Paul chose Silas, and it says they went to Syria and Cilicia. Right? See, Paul's more mission first, right? Like, we got to get to these churches, and we've got to do it with the best, you know, the best way possible. And so he, he says, no, I'm, I'm going to take Silas, my new partner that I found from Jerusalem in the last couple chapters, and then we're going to go on the second part of the journey. You guys can go to Cyprus. We'll go to the second half of the missionary journey, and we'll see all the other churches that we visited after that. And what we see here is that their compromise brings conflict to a peaceable end. It could have gotten really heated and really nasty, but it didn't. They compromised and they got to a peaceable end. In fact, the reason this is so important is because compromise requires humility over pride. Do you hear that, friends? If we're going to compromise the way that the Bible shows us here, it's going to require humility over pride. I think oftentimes in Christian circles, compromise is kind of a four-letter word. <laughs> a lot of Christians think about compromise as always negative, right? Like compromise means that we're, it's a matter of cowardice or it's a matter of capitulation or it's a matter of, you know, giving up on the things of God and giving into the world. But that's not always true. Sure, sometimes compromise can be negative, but sometimes compromise can be positive. We see it right here. So for me as a Christian to assume that I never need to compromise that I always need to stand my ground and and speak the truth. and It's not spiritual. It's prideful. Because sometimes God uses our compromise to do even greater things. And so the question really here is, okay, if I need to compromise, how do I know when? Because I don't want to compromise on the wrong things. I don't want to compromise on the things that I shouldn't compromise on. So how do I know when I should and shouldn't compromise, Micah? I'm going to give you four statements that I think kind of lay out what Christian compromise should look like. So number one, a Christians compromise on personal opinions, not God's truth. On personal opinions, not God's truth. So for example, we can compromise on our preferred worship style. We can compromise on what translation of the Bible we use, right? Those are personal opinion things, but we can't compromise on the fact that God tells us in his word to worship him or to read and study and know his word. Those are commands from the Lord that we cannot compromise on. We have to do those things. But how we do them, there can be some flexibility because that's more of an opinion issue than it is a truth of God issue. And we need to separate our opinion from God's truth to know where that line of compromise is. Number two, Christians compromise on preferential choices, not sinful choices, right? Right now, everybody's stuck at home. Right, with the stay at home order for, for, for the coronavirus. And so you got a lot of people in the house, and they're all trying to fight over TV time and screen time. And what are we going to watch now? What are we going to watch later? And you know, we can compromise on preferential choices. We can compromise on who watches what when. We can't compromise on sinful choices. So if that means, oh, I'm bored, I've been at home, I'm stuck here for all these weeks, and now I don't have anything left to watch, so I'm going to start watching this new thing on Netflix that I know is immoral and sinful. But I'm bored, so I'm going to watch it anyways. No, that's not a compromise we can make. We can make it on preferential choices, what we watch and when, with who, but not on sinful choices if we're leading ourselves into something that would not be honoring to the Lord. Number three, Christians compromise on on my expense, not someone else's. Christians compromise on my expense, not someone else. You see, compromise means both sides are giving something up. Both sides are are sacrificing in order to make it happen. And so if I'm pushing for a compromise that only hurts the other person and only gets something from them, I don't have to give anything up, then that's not really a good Christian compromise, especially if it hurts somebody outside of the compromise. If me and you are making an agreement and somebody else is going to pay the price for it, that's not the kind of compromise we're talking about here. That's not of the Lord. That's not putting others first this includes unfair or unjust compromises where we allow things that are wrong and unfair and unjust to continue happening as we compromise and look the other way and don't address what's happening to this other person and how that's not fair or just so that's number 3 christian number 4 christian compromise christians can compromise on the method not the message of the gospel this is maybe the key one here in this passage, right? This is exactly what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're compromising on the method, method, but not the message. They're saying, you could go here, and I'll go here. Instead of one team of two guys, we'll do two teams with two guys each, and we'll, we'll change the method, but they still went preaching the gospel. They still went telling people that Jesus saves, and that you're a sinner, and that you need him, and that this was the big moment, right? They didn't change the message. They just compromised on the method. This is where we're at right now, church, right? Listen, we would always rather be gathering together for church, for small groups. We would would love that, but right now we just can't. And so we have to change the method a little bit. We have to go to online church, but never are we gonna change the message. Even though we're doing it like this, we're still preaching and sharing and proclaiming the gospel no matter what, because that's what changes hearts and that's what changes lives. That's what people need to hear no matter how They hear it. So we can compromise on the method, just not on the message. So as a Christian, when I look at this, I'm like, okay, there are some areas that I can compromise, I can give, and maybe God can use that like he did here with Paul and Barnabas, right? In this story, we see that compromise over conflict actually doubles God's mission. Think about this for a second. It was going to be two guys on one mission. Now we got four guys on two missions, right? And God knew this was going to happen. You understand that God is sovereign over all of this? He's sovereign over the coronavirus. He's sovereign over your bank account. He's sovereign over all the issues in our country. And he was sovereign over what happened with Paul and Barnabas. He knew they were going to disagree. He knew they were going to have this conflict. It didn't freak him out. He just uses the conflict for good. And he doubles his efforts to get the gospel out and to get more glory for his name. So now you have two teams going out, and those two teams are training up two new leaders. Right, you have Silas who gets his first taste here with Paul on his missionary journey, but he becomes a regular staple of Paul's team. In 1 Thessalonians 1.11, it lists him with Paul and and Timothy as one of the regular guys that are ministering to the churches. And then later on in Acts 17.14, Paul gets run out of town because of some persecution, but the Christians there in the town, they still need to be discipled, they still need to learn more. And so guess what? He leaves Silas behind, trusting that Silas is now a good enough leader to teach and lead these people to grow in Christ. And lastly, in 1 Peter 5, 12, about 10 years later, Peter writes of Silas that he is still a faithful brother in the work of the ministry. Right. So like we see Silas getting a chance to rise up here as a leader and to follow the Lord because of the compromise that Paul and Barnabas made. We see the same thing with John Mark. Right? Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go on their way, and then later on in uh Philemon 124, Paul writes this. Ten years. This is Paul, the guy who said, no, I'm not taking him. Ten years later writes, and he listed John Mark as a fellow worker of the gospel with Paul. He recognizes that, that John Mark is playing a role now in the church and in the mission of God. He also, in 2 Timothy 4.11, says that he is useful to me for ministry. He's like, bring him to me because he is useful. Like, I love this man and, and we can work together. Not to mention, Mark is the guy who ended up writing the gospel of Mark that we have in the New Testament now that tells us about the life of Christ. God was raising up two new leaders on two new teams as he doubled his efforts because of the compromise that Paul and Barnabas were willing to make instead of staying in the conflict. You know, God often uses conflict and compromise to expand his mission in ways that we would never have thought possible, right? So many times he's doing things that we never even saw coming, but he makes good out of it. I think he's doing that right now, church, with us, right here in this place. We wouldn't choose this. We wouldn't desire to, to live the way we're living and, and do church the way we're doing church. But you know what? God can use it for good. And I think he's going to double and multiply his efforts in our world and in the gospel because of it. This past week I was doing some reading and I saw this news story come out of Kentucky that I was just really encouraged by. So I just want to share it with you this morning as a great illustration of this. Let me read this to you. It says, uh, East Marshall Baptist Church has a faithful congregation of about 25 every Sunday. But when Governor Andy Brashear said to not gather in groups of more than 10, that was the end of it, said James Keeling, the church's 81-year-old pastor. And I hope I am still pounding the pulpit at 81. That is awesome. He said, but we can't meet anymore because we have more than 10 people. He says, that's the end of it, but only in person. You see, Keeling's technology knowledge pretty much matched his age, but getting the gospel message out to his church was a bigger priority to him. So the most senior of all the senior pastors in the Kentucky Baptist area went where not many his age would have chose to go. He taught himself Facebook Live. Larry Purcell, a church strategist said this. He said, I'm not amazed when I see a pastor 50 or younger using technology in ministry But when I see a pastor 80 plus years old, not only personally calling all of his congregation, but spending hours learning Facebook Live, I am now amazed, but I'm not sure why. Because when a shepherd loves his sheep, he crosses any barrier caring for them. Pastor Keeling said that he self-taught himself with the help of some of his grandchildren and his children. He said, but I I still struggle with the texting stuff. And uh, so Keeling, he set up his laptop in his quiet room of his home, and he looked into his computer, and he preached. (laughs) And he said, all I could see was that ugly old face of mine staring back at me, and it was kind of strange at first. But I finally got it down, and I did a dry run on Saturday, and then I was ready to go on Sunday morning. You see, Keeling had his regular service Sunday morning. He's going to have another service Wednesday night. He said, we're not going to have any music because nobody wants to hear me sing. But he was willing to change the method to get the message out there. The article said that Keeling has lived to see polio affect half a million children in the 1940s and 50s and watched as rations were handed out during World War II. But the coronavirus outbreak is unique, he said. Keeling said, what's happened with the coronavirus is a clear message to the church. We need to be the church, whether we can go to church or not. We need to be not just at home moping about what we can't do, but praying for the things that we can do. That's right, Harvest. That's exactly what we need to do. We need to be the church right now. What can we do right now to continue to get the message of the gospel out? We might have to compromise on some methods, right? but the message is still the same. Jesus is still the hope of the world, and we need to be about that. Listen, I guarantee you, Pastor Keeling would rather be in church, rather doing it the normal way, but he's willing to compromise if it means getting the message out to people, if it means loving and sharing the gospel with them. We must be willing to do the same thing. If we want to see our community, if we want to see our friends and our family and our neighbors impacted more with the hope of Jesus Christ in this crazy, hopeless time, We have to be willing to compromise on the methods, just not on the message. Compromising when I can allows God's mission to multiply even more. Hear that again. Compromising when I can, on the things I can, in the areas that I can, allows God to do even more for his mission and for his glory as he multiplies our efforts in his goodness. So sometimes conflict and disagreements are going to come. When they rise up, we need to communicate. When they remain, we need to compromise. But then lastly, look at verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. When conflict resolves, we need to commend. That's point number three. When conflict resolves, commend. It says here that they were commended by the brothers. They were commended by the church, right? Paul and Barnabas did not let their disagreement get out of hand and become disqualifying or unhealthy or some big, you know, rip in the church. They handled it correctly. And so the church said, we bless you and we commend you. And they sent them out on mission in two teams to the glory of God. There's no bad blood here. There's no bitterness here between Paul and Barnabas. There's no prideful backbiting or building sides or dividing the church. They were commended to faithful ministry because they handled the conflict well. We should commend one another when it's all said and done. We see this from Paul too. Later on in the New Testament, we see that he continues to commend his brothers in the gospel as well. He talks about Barnabas in 1 Corinthians 9.6. And he compares Barnabas' work in the gospel to his own work in the gospel and says, we both are working for the Lord, and we both deserve the honor that apostles deserve. John Mark in 2 Timothy 4.11, again, he calls him useful for ministry. And later on, Paul says to the Colossian church in 4.10 to welcome him as a minister of the gospel. Paul saw these men as faithful partners in the gospel. He commended their work even when they had had a disagreement at the end of the day, they were all on the same team, and they were going to love and support one another. They weren't going to fight and divide, and that's what we need to do, church. We need to be commending one another in the gospel as we continue to move forward together. And then when we do that, it leads to the same result that we see here with Paul and Barnabas. It says that they went forth strengthening the churches. Listen, when the family resolves conflict, churches are strengthened. When the family of God chooses to in a biblical way, resolve conflict and disagreement, it strengthens our churches and it makes us a better testimony to the world of the love of Jesus Christ that unifies us. You know, here at Harvest, we love multiplying disciples. We love multiplying churches. We love church planting. It's in our blood. It's in our veins. I cannot wait for the day when we get to see God plant a church out of our own church and do an awesome work. But however, not all churches see church planting the same way. You know, when we started our church planting journey six years ago, it became uh, painfully obvious that some churches feel threatened by church plants. They see them as competition or they see them as some type of indictment that they're not doing ministry correctly or good enough or whatever that might be. And, And so because of that, some church leaders can get rude or ugly or even attack church plants and church planters and um, unfortunately, we saw some of that when we planted harvest, and we had to experience some of that. And it was painful, and if I'm just being completely honest with you, in my flesh, I really wanted to lash back. <laughs> I wanted to be angry. I wanted to, 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 to be ugly back at them. But the Lord stopped and convicted us, and over time has shown us that whether they were right or wrong, it doesn't matter, that these churches and their leaders are faithful preachers of the gospel, They are our partners. They are part of our team. We are in this together and we need to commend them in the gospel and we need to work together and we need to go forward together no matter what our disagreements might be. We might not not see eye to eye on everything, but we all see eye to eye on Jesus and on the importance of the gospel. And so we don't need to let our disagreements become dissension. We need to commend one another and keep working together for the good of the Lord. Resolving conflict allows me to commend my gospel family in the mission. When I don't leave it bitter or angry or when I resolve the conflict well, it allows me then to walk in character and good faith and commend my fellow brothers and sisters in the gospel as we work together to make much of the name of Jesus. This is what it looks like, family. This is what it looks like to do conflict resolution, to do to deal with disagreements in a biblical way. And what's awesome is that God is so good, he even uses our disagreements for his glory. That's how awesome and powerful and good and sovereign our God is, right? Listen, God can handle conflict in the family, right, as long as we deal with it correctly. Resolving conflict through godly communication, through compromise, through commendation, it puts us in the best possible place to continue to multiply disciples and bring glory to the name of God. That is our mission, church, to glorify God through making disciples. Let's not lose sight of that in a time where conflict is constantly looming. Let's not let the disagreements get in the way of what God has called us to do. We're the family of God. We can disagree without dissension. and We can trust that the sovereign God will use all of it for good, and for his glory. Will you bow with me? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you today, Lord, that you are bigger than all of our disagreements. You're bigger than all the conflicts and the crises. That even when we struggle to see eye to eye with one another, that we can continue together with our eyes on you. Lord, give us wisdom to communicate and to compromise Well, so that the gospel and the mission continues to multiply churches and multiply disciples and multiply lives. God, we trust you. We trust you today, knowing that you are bigger than anything that comes against us, that you are with us through everything. Lord, that you are sovereign over us, over our lives, over our world, so you will lead us forward for your glory, and for our good. And to that, Lord, we say thank you, and we praise your name. And, Lord, we praise you for your grace in our lives. You are the sovereign God, and we trust you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.